You are listening to Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. Barely hours, must have been less than 24 hours after the judgment came out on Saturday, on Friday, uh, at the ICJ, where South Africa had a seminal and overwhelming victory against Israel for the people of Palestine. Various Western states, led by the United States of America, had paused and pulled funding to the United States, uh, United Nations Relief and Working Agency. We have to speak about this. Professor Mia Suartu is a international law and human rights uh, attorney and lecturer at the Wits, at Wits University, Oliver Shiner School of Law, joins us for this conversation. Mia, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. What is the United Nations Relief and Working Agency? Uh, good evening, Oliver. Um, so it's UNRWA, which is the Relief Works Agency, um, is a very sort of old agency. It's one of the sort of primary agencies operating in Gaza and it has been working with refugees specifically um, and it's always been very active in Gaza specifically it's it's very sort of large within Gaza it has 13,000 employees and it basically provides sorry what how many 13,000 13 yes okay it's, uh, it provides a lifeline to people in Gaza um, it's much larger than any other humanitarian organization they it runs schools it runs Sort of, you know, uh, 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 educational facilities, but it also distributes aid in in Gaza. But it's it's not just active now in the war. It was also active before the war. It provided yeah. work for a lot of people. So, um, so it's really a pivotal agency in terms of getting aid to people. Is it an outfit specifically designed for what has been happening in Gaza, or is it a multinational, transnational relief uh, uh, agency? Well, the idea is that it um, is transnational, but it it just happens to be more most active in Gaza. Right, right. This agency has been funded by the United States, Germany, the entire EU, Sweden, Norway, Japan, France, Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, and they're all giving quite a bit of money with the U.S. having given in 2022 about $350 million, with Germany giving over $200 million in that same year. Um, that's half a billion just from two nations uh, in, 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 in the West. Both those nations have now paused their funding, the biggest sources of funding for, uh, for UNRWA. Um, before we get into why they did that, can we talk about how significant the impact will this will be on the work of UNRWA? They are now pleading uh, for, 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 for additional funding from wherever they could potentially get uh, any funding from. 13,000 workers, that's an operation that seemingly will stop overnight if it runs out of cash. Yes, well, I'm not sure that it will, will stop exactly overnight because it's been very resourceful and you know tenacious in a sense because it's been threatened with funding withdrawal before under the trump administration you know trump cut funding to unrwa so unrwa is constantly in the news for being underfunded in, sp in spite of the figures you've mentioned yeah but it is very very serious now because we know that gaza is hovering on the brink of complete famine that the un has called it uninhabitable so people really are desperate now, and this is the primary way of distributing aid, as I said. 
Yeah. Uh, the speculative question here, and I'll ask you as, as an expert in the field to speculate as far and wide as you possibly want to about this. Is this a retaliatory action due to the, the, the outcome in the ICJ on Friday? I think it's quite obvious that it is. Um, well, it, it, this apparently the claims have been made by Israeli intelligence that some UNRWA you know, workers, but only about 15 out of 13,000, were involved in the 7 October attacks. They, they were apparently involved in taking hostages, in uh, you know transferring ammunition uh, for the use of Hamas. But this, you know, is a claim by Israeli intelligence, which we don't know whether it's, you know, 100% accurate. We know that, that Israel has made some claims in the aftermath of 7 October, which they had to retract later on. So I think that yeah. uh, it's clear that, you know, Netanyahu's timing is not coincidental, that he's made this, you know, directly after the ICJ's ruling. And he knows exactly what kind of impact this will have on the people there. Yeah. An inquiry is now underway. Um, and Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, he's met with the head of internal investigations at, at the United Nations uh, to, one, initiate an inquiry into whether there's any sort of truth or merit to these sort of claims. Um, I, I, I guess the question then now is, should a United Nations inquiry find that there's no merit or that there's no proof to Israel's claim, um, it, it, it still isn't enough a guarantee that funding will resume because it may well be that these nation states allies of israel uh decide that they'd rather believe israel over the united nations it seems like the united nations itself has a credibility crisis uh with some of its 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 member states such as in this instance the united states of america uh yes what you're saying is is broadly true uh, but I don't think every single one of those countries are necessarily firm allies of, of Israel, right? So uh, Japan and Switzerland are, for example, also in the mix. But uh, yes, I think that it is going to be very problematic if these countries continue to, you know, uh, defund UNRWA. And uh, I think it's very problematic that these countries jumped on this so quickly, you know. And all decided to defund because they they know they should know better. They know what consequences this will have. We've seen the head of the Norwegian Refugee Council, Jan Egeland, speaking about this and talk, talking about how traumatic this is, and acknowledging that UNRWA is bigger than almost all other humanitarian assistance organizations together. Mm, mm. Um, one of the um, uh, orders that the court had pronounced uh, in the outcome of the, the provisional measures outcome in the ICJ was that Israel should make uh, no efforts that uh, that makes it difficult uh, or blocks aid from entering the Gaza Strip. Um, ostensibly, that means that UNRWA would have had easier access to Gaza and a freer flow of aid would have come in. But it may well be that UNRWA runs out of aid resources over time, depending on how long uh, the, 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 the funding pause is, is, is in place for. That means that, uh, does that mean that that particular order 
as pronounced by the court, means that any other nation anywhere else in the world or any other body, relief body or human rights body or, 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 or aid body across the world can now uh, take um, aid and, 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 and related assistance uh, to Gaza under the the principle of that particular pronouncement in the judgment, meaning that they will not face any sort of troubles from the Israeli state. Professor, you know, the answer, which is that that Israel really has to, you know, allow the aid to come in, you know, and uh, Israel has an understanding with UNRWA that UNRWA distributes the aid. It has an understanding with the Red Cross to, to do with aid. So it's a very big problem that Israel is in charge. Oh, Professor, I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you, I'm going to pause you there because I want you to say that again and because also, we didn't, uh, we didn't get sorry. much of your answer there. The line cut in and oh, out okay. terribly. So we're going to take yes. a short break and uh, see if we can reestablish connection with uh, Prof. Mia Swartz over there. Give me a, give me a call, 086-000-2032, 086-000-2032. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on this on 0614-104-107. Let's take a break. Let's see if we can get a proper connection with Prof. Swartz on the other side of this. SAFM Sunrise with Stephen Grutis. Why are some children still having to walk so far every day? So, Stephen, we've been monitoring the Going Back to School project uh, since the 17th, and even nationally, we, you've been seeing us on the ground. And what we've picked up is, although there has been a lot of improvement in other areas, the scholar transport concerns are still very prevalent. We must be asking the person in questions and not just throwing these mandates back to the departments, um, etc. We must also be asking, why are kids walking 12 kilometers to school? Because one of the schools indicated to us when we did these interviews that they were walking past two other schools in some instances just to get to that particular school as well. Dr. Eileen Carter, thank you. Provincial Manager for the South African Human Rights Commission in the Eastern Cape. SAFM Sunrise with Stephen Grutis, 6 to 9 a.m. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. 12 minutes to the top of the hour where you're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. I'm in conversation with Professor Mia Swartz, who is an international law professor at WITS. And we're talking about the aftermath of the ICJ judgment where several Western nation states had pulled funding from the United Nations Relief Working Agency that operates, that has been doing the bulk of, not, if not all, of the relief work in, in, in Gaza uh, following the bombardment of the Gaza Strip by Israel. Uh, Prof, before we lost you then, before the, la- the line intermittently cut there between us, you were responding to my question around whether the uh, provisional measure uh, coming out of the ICJ compelling Israel to not make it any more, to make it less difficult for aid to get into Gaza, if that would apply to any other relief group and any other nation state that seeks to fill whatever may be the vacuum of aid that will result due to the uh, funding block uh, to UNRWA. Uh, For instance, hypothetically speaking, and this is not very hypothetical, but somewhat hypothetical, we know that, for instance, Gift of the Givers has been doing a tremendous amount of aid work in Gaza during this period, right? If Gift of the Givers suddenly wanted to increase the volume of aid work that they did, again, to fill that vacuum, that would they have relative ease in doing so in ways that UNRWA would have had under the provisional measure announcement uh, in the ICJ? 
Well, first of all, Gift of the Givers does not do anything comparable to Dua. So mm. you say tremendous amounts. It's it's admirable that they're doing this, but they don't have the facilities, the history, the connections that UNRWA has. Yeah. And Israel is in charge of all of this. So it cannot suddenly step in and substitute UNRWA. This is almost Ooh, Prof Mia, your line cut there again. Can you try that again? Yes, there's not much I can do about it. I just yeah. basically said that it cannot be a substitute for UNRWA. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 that is to say, I guess to circle back to the the, the question and less about the actor is that if yes, other if other organisations and nature states wanted to do and fill that vacuum, would I can't. they? It cannot fill the gap. It cannot fill the gap because Israel has to give the information. Yeah, and Israel is very unlikely to do so. And also, they do not have the capacity or the, the connections or the network to do what UNRWA has done. It's a very sophisticated operation that UNRWA is running. And no smaller organization can suddenly substitute that. Uh, Israel is, as many analysts have argued, is likely to just ignore the provisional measures that has come out of the ICJ. Um, but I guess the question here is, will the ICJ have any effect at least however subtle it may be, on how Israel goes about uh, the, the, the onslaught and bombardment of, of, of uh, the Gaza Strip. In other words, are we likely to see a de-escalation uh, coming from that? Does international law have that sort of persuasive power? Well, I think the question is whether it, you know, it, it's going to be implemented, essentially. And we already see that there has been absolutely no de-escalation so far. And the Netanyahu who has actually, you know, pledged to continue uh, bombing and continue the violence. So, uh, so far, there is absolutely no indication that, um, you know, so it, just to get back to what you said right in the beginning, that it was such a tremendous victory. I don't see it as a tremendous victory because there was no call for a ceasefire. And even if there was, Israel was unlikely to observe it. So we're, we're facing a crisis of implementation. Yeah. What then? How do international institutions, um, is, is this a moment where I guess international bodies, multilateral, uh, multilateral, multinational bodies have to ask themselves, what power is there in the collective? How do we hold each other accountable to these things that we have agreed to would be our world order as multinational bodies? Uh, it seems if we can't hold certain members accountable that we are toothless to begin with. I guess this is is an important moment for self-reflection and perhaps multinational bodies such as the United Nations and its associated agencies are having a, a I guess an existential crisis. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's really at that point yet. Um, the UN is, is is still very effective in many parts of the world. I think that simply in the context of Gaza, they have. They will now need to be more creative and resourceful than they've ever been. Yeah, give us a call zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. In, in comparison, uh, the United Nations uh, funded uh, in 2020 to UNRWA $350 million, Saudi Arabia $27 million. Uh, do the, the neighboring states in the Middle East uh, to uh, Israel and Gaza have the sort of financial muscle to fill, again, the funding vacuum that the U.S. may have left? As the League of Muslim States, for instance, uh, is this a moment where they can actually pull their resources and assist? 
Uh, yeah, this is a, a good question. Um, the Arab League has not actually been um, active enough in the view of many. And uh, yes, in my view, they should absolutely um, assist now and step in. But again, one is going to face the obstacle of Israel being the gatekeeper and deciding whether the aid reaches the people. So one yeah. should never leave that, you know, uh, out of mind. But so far, uh, so far, Arab states have probably not been uh, active enough. I know that Qatar gives a lot of assistance to Palestinian people um, continuously and consistently, but certainly states like Saudi Arabia can do a lot more. Yeah. Does the political will exist? Um, well, as I said, for, for Qatar it does. For Saudi Arabia, it doesn't seem to be the case. Why is that the case? Does Saudi Arabia have a strong allegiance to the United States than it does to perhaps, I don't know, the people of Gaza? Well, yes. Um, we know that there's a, a you know, firm trade agreement between Saudi Arabia and America. Um, there's also the normalization efforts between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which um, came to a halt because of the war. But it's not clear that Saudi Arabia has really chosen for the Palestinian people above all else. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you so much for your time this evening, uh, Prof. Miaswas. Really, really do appreciate it. I'm taking your reactions to the 86 2032. It's an intelligence report. That's that's it. That's all. And it's an intelligence report coming from the Israeli intelligence that the U.S. and various other states had paused their funding to UNRWA. In your view, your opinion, your experience, do you think, as you look at this, that it is quite clearly a retaliatory, vindictive action that has taken place? That the world, the Western world says, well, you may have won the legal battle, but the resource battle, you haven't won because we are the resource base through which these people have been receiving funding and aid to begin with. So the aid that the court had ordered must go in won't exist if we don't fund that aid. And that is the real show of power. And once again, this demonstrates to you and I and to the rest of the global world what the resource skew is in the world, what the global economy looks like and why that particularly needs to change. Is there an opportunity? Because we now know that BRICS is entrenching itself in the Middle East with various of its uh, new members joining it. Is this a moment for BRICS? By the way, South Africa led the, the litigation. Maybe South Africa must, through its BRICS partner, say, hey, look, there's a humanitarian resource void that's about to come and we need to fill it. Is there an opportunity for that to happen? I want to take your reactions to that. Give me a call, 86 I'm also going to take your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 We're going to take a very short break. On the other side of this, uh, we continue the conversation. The Talking Point on SAFM. When it comes 